All right, you can turn your Bible to Colossians chapter 2 as we continue our verse-by-verse study uh, through this book. Uh, The passage that we have before us today is perhaps one of my most favorite passages in all of Scripture. And uh, I think you'll see why as we we work our way through this text. Uh, Would you stand in honor of reading God's Word? We'll pick up where we left off last week in verse 8 and uh, go on through verse 15. See to it. That no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ." having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Father, would you guide us this morning through this text as Paul is is helping this church at Colossae to to think through the the many different errors that have been coming up in their church, the the theological problems that have been arising. God, would you convict us in our hearts with a desire to, to want to guard ourselves from error, that we would become a discerning church, a discerning people as you have called us to. I'd be with this this morning. Help us understand. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, one of the more heretical um, things I've ever seen come out of a, a, a gathering of so-called Christians. Even more shocking than the content that was in that video is how many people believe what was just said. And God does not depend on us to do anything. Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. I shared that video with you to demonstrate that you don't have to look very far uh, to, to find error within the church. And there are many philosophies of man that are popular today through people who would claim to be Christians that are contrary to the Word of God. Our text this, this morning is full of statements about Jesus, about what Jesus has done for us, what He has done in us, who we are because of of Jesus. We are raised from the dead in Christ. The record of our debt is, is canceled. All these wonderful truths. And it's tempting in, in a text like this to, to immediately just sort of jump to those, those theological truths because they're so powerful and, and really lose the context of why it is those truths are, are there. Well, the main point of this text is found in the, the imperative, that is the, the verbal instruction that, that Paul is, is giving. 
then all that theology, that those wonderful truths that, that follow the imperative are really there to support that instruction. So what's the instruction? What's the imperative that Paul gives? It's found in verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. And there are a lot of philosophies about God and about man and our relationship to God. And that's been true really since the beginning of, of time. It's true today. And I would argue actually that, that American Christianity is in a crisis from so many philosophies of man that are not according to Christ and God's Word. And Paul says that they are empty deceit. They are based on human traditions, the elemental or basic spirits or principles of the world. It's based upon culture and modern thinking, but not according to, to Christ. And so the instruction is to make sure that, that these false teachings, that, that you do not pursue them. Make sure that you are not taken captive by them. And Paul is making sure that, that this church knows how and why to guard themselves for error. We, we've seen this already in this chapter in verse 4. He says, I say this, so he gives his purpose in this section of, of the letter. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That's the purpose of this section of, of the letter that Paul's writing. So if you are a Christian, then, then this is part of your job. To actively see to it that no one takes you captive. And this is not a sort of a, a passive thing that just sort of happens in the, in the background. This is an instruction in God's word that we have to take seriously to actively discern what we are hearing concerning God. Because there are many philosophies that do hold people captive. And to think that you are, are somehow immune to this danger is, is pride. And so I'm encouraging this morning to, to, to humbly consider how we ought to and why we ought to from error. And that is sort of the main point that I would summarize this, this sermon is to actively guard yourself from theological error. Actively guard yourself from theological error. In other words, practice discernment. Don't take things at face value. To be a, a Berean do you remember in our study through the book of Acts that, that we just completed in Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas uh, were preaching the gospel and they came to the city of Berea and they began to preach to these Jews. They were Jewish believers in, in the Old Testament God. They were Jewish believers in, in Yahweh, and, but they did not know, yet know Jesus. And so when they came preaching, uh, they began to compare what it was that was said by Paul and Silas to the Word of God. And they were going to trust what the Word of God said. So we read there, it says in Acts 17, 11, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They tested the claims of Paul and Silas to the inerrant Word of God. And they found that what Paul and Silas were preaching was true, and so they became Christians. They, they went from sort of Old Testament believers to, to New Testament believers in, in Jesus. To discern as a Christian is to, to test what you hear to the Bible, to be able to tell truth from error. And we are to be constantly, personally on guard from error doing this. 
See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That's the purpose of this text. And so now we, we go on then to, to look sort of at the theology, the Christology, all these wonderful truths about our relationship to Christ and our position in Christ with the framework of knowing that all of these truths relate to the imperative, relate to the main point, and that is to guard ourselves from error. So actively guard yourself from theological error. And I think this text helps us understand both how to do this and why we ought to do this. So how are we to guard ourselves from error? Well, really the the answer to that question lies in in part in in what we studied last week, the context of of, of this passage. If you remember, we, we talked about having an encouraged heart, the importance of being knit together with other believers in love. We, we help each other be discerning and to recognize error. There's a strength in a church uh, of being with wise and mature believers who have studied God's word. The, the, in Proverbs 27 it says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. I'm not going to rehash the sermon from last week, but I do want to sort of highlight this on how we guard ourselves from error. I think centrally speaking, it would be this, to ground yourself in truth. To guard yourself in error would be to, to, or to guard yourself from error would be to ground yourself in truth. And so look at the text that we we sort of ended with last last week that's the immediate context for for this week, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, he's, he's calling them in the midst of all this false theology, mysticism, Judaizers, and some of the, the beginning doctrines of what would later become Gnosticism, all those things that we talked about in the very first sermon of this series. And he's calling them in the midst of all these things that to, to go back to what you were first taught to go back to the gospel, go back to the Bible, firm up your faith with, with what was first taught to you. You know, FBI specialists, and I've actually talked to one, but FBI specialists who work with counterfeit money can tell you what fake money is and, and, and recognize it instantly, not because they know every single type of counterfeit money that exists out there. And the way that they are able to discern what is fake money and what is real money is because they know so well real money. They know all of the security features that are embedded some secretly into our currency. They have felt and touched and smelled so much real money that that when something fake comes across their hands, they're able to immediately recognize it. Friends, our truth is the Bible. You want to know how to guard against theological error, then know the Bible in and out. Know every word of it. Know the truth. Read and study and, and meditate and inspect and, and love this precious word of God that, that, that is given to us. And you do that and you will be prepared to instantly recognize and handle error. You know, when you heard that video that I played at the very beginning... I hope that just alarms were just going off in your mind. And, and I hope that you were just thinking of, of verse after verse after verse that speaks of the sovereignty of God, of the aseity of God, to say, that's not right. You know the truth. You'll be able to recognize the error. You know, sometimes error is not as blatant as it was in, in that clip. Sometimes it's much more subtle. And subtle does not mean less dangerous. 
it means more dangerous. And so as Christians, we must ever be vigilant to ground ourselves in the truth so that we can guard ourselves from the error. So Paul gives that instruction, the imperative, see to it that no one takes you captive. And then he connects that imperative with the word for, if you're following along in the text. And so these doctrinal truths that follow are related to the imperative. And I believe they're there to help encourage us to do the imperative. They tell us why we should guard ourselves from error, why we should guard ourselves from all the, the things that may attack our theological framework, that attack the Bible. So why should you guard yourself from error? And we see the first theological truth here is that you have been filled in Christ. Verse 9, 10, help us understand I think what a a profound truth is of of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. So Christ, who is is fully God, has has filled you. And this is speaking of Christ being all-sufficient for you. In other words, if you're kind of tracing the argument... You have no need of the philosophy of man because you are filled in Christ. Uh, When when Bob and the Rickles and I uh, went to the Sing Conference uh, last year, we we ate at this place called Jack's Barbecue. And they happened to serve perhaps the best beef beef brisket I've ever tasted. It's definitely been the the best meal that I've had in in at least recent times. And... uh, and so, just imagine with me for a moment that, that after church today, on a table before me uh, for my lunch, I had an option of Jack's beef brisket, as much as I could possibly eat. And alongside the beef brisket would be things like potato chips and Twinkies and frozen pizza rolls and all, all sorts of store-bought junk food. You know what I'm talking about? Which of those two am I going to eat and be filled in? Well, of course, I'm going I'm to eat the brisket, and I'm going to eat until I am completely and utterly full. I will eat that brisket until I could eat no more of it. And you know what will happen then? I will have no desire for the potato chips and the Twinkies. In fact, just the sight of that. Have you ever been that full? You get so full that just like the sight of food disgusts you, that you don't want it. Dear friends, you are filled in Christ. You should have no desire for the philosophies of man that sometimes sound good and perhaps offer you something that you would otherwise desire. But friends, if you have Christ, if you are living in Him, He has so filled you and satisfied you that the sight and the sound of false doctrine should make you sick. One of the things that the Gnostics believed, and like I said, we are getting really here in Colossae, the the beginnings of some of the doctrines that the Gnostics would believe. But one of the things that they believed was that divine power was divided among what they called spirits. Paul says, to, to, to battle that, he says that the fullness of deity dwells in Christ. He has all power and all attributes of God. He is God made flesh. 
He's the one who can satisfy you. You have no need of anything else. Do you struggle with this? This idea of being satisfied in Jesus Christ? Do you long in your heart for other things that you think might satisfy you? If that's you, then my encouragement to you would, would be to pray. And pray like the psalmist prayed. Pray like David prayed in Psalm 17. I'd like to read just a portion of it for you. This is David praying. He says, I will call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. He goes on in verse 14 there. He says, From men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life, you fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. And so it's, he's talking about men who find satisfaction in, in things of the world, even, even things that are good sometimes, like, like children and family. But he says this, he, he resolves to say, But as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. And no matter, no matter what happened in David's life, he was going to be fully satisfied in God. And friends, that's, that's us. We are filled in Christ to be satisfied fully in Him no matter what circumstance comes our way. So pray that in, no matter what circumstance that you are in, that, that you want to be satisfied in the likeness of God. I, I want to be filled in you, God. E- even when everyone around me is, is doing all these things that my flesh desires, God, I, I want you. Friends, part, that's part of the blessing of being united with Christ through faith, is that we can experience true contentment no matter what circumstance comes our way. You seek to treasure Christ above all else, friends, and falling into error is not going to be a problem for you. Paul is telling the, the Colossian church, you don't need these philosophies of men because you have been filled in Christ. And that's true for you, if you're a Christian. Actively guard yourself from theological error. Now Paul is going to start addressing the specifics that, the, the, the things that are happening uh, here in this church at Colossae, he moves to his next doctrinal truth. And in doing so, he, he tackles one of the errors that has come up with the church. So why should we guard ourselves from error? Because, number two, you have been made new. Second truth, you have been made new. Uh, there's this tree called a knob cone tree. I mean, and this is a truly a, a marvel. It's a testimony of God's creativity and of his, his goodness. Uh, the seeds of the knob cone are, are hidden within a hard pine cone that's sealed with a resin that is produced by the tree. You can hit this pine cone with a hammer and it will not crack. There are no seed-eating animals that are able to get it open. In fact, there's only one thing in all of nature that can open this pine cone to release its seeds. And that is fire of at least 350 degrees. In other words, it takes a forest fire. A fire that, that devastates the entire region. I mean, just look at the pictures that are coming out of Australia right now. It's a wasteland. Nothing but death. Yet in the midst of this fire, these pine cones begin to crack. They don't open fully in the fire, so the seeds are protected within the cone. 
And then this amazing thing happens that as the, the area begins to cool down, after, after everything is burned off, and, and the cones begin to cool down, and they begin to open up. And, and these seeds, they're those ones, have you seen them, the little helicopter ones? And these seeds, thousands of them from these trees, get spread all over the burned ground of, of the forest. And if you didn't know, ash makes really good fertilizer. And so you have these thousands of seeds that, that begin to facilitate and sort of jumpstart this, this new growth in the forest. In the midst of all this just absolute death, God made a provision for life. Verse 11. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him. And the Judaizers in the church were trying to, to require circumcision for the Gentiles. Really the same thing that was happening in Galatia. If, if you read the, the book of Galatians, that's one of the main themes in that book. Is, is Paul's addressing that we're not saved by, by works, we're saved by faith. It's not saved by this work of, of circumcision. And to ultimately do so, to, to trust in a work instead of trusting in Christ, um, ultimately will send you to hell. Because you cannot earn your salvation. You have to trust solely in what Jesus did on the cross. And so Paul looks at these uncircumcised Gentiles in Colossae and he tells them, in fact, you have been circumcised. And you put off not the flesh of your organ, but the flesh of the world. You have put off your sin, your old self living in sin, living in, in death itself. That person has, has died with Christ and you have been risen to new life. And that's what baptism symbolizes. Your old self has been put to death under the water, buried in Christ. And you come out just as Jesus came out of the grave, symbolizing this new birth. Your old self has died and you have been given this new life. You see, friends, in the midst of all this, the death that sin has brought... Of all the death that we are a part of. We are dead in our trespasses, we're told. In the midst of all the death that sin brought, as dead as a burned forest, God made a provision of life in His Son Jesus. When Jesus Christ rose from the grave, He made a provision for you for new life. And through faith in Him... You can have what Paul describes as the circumcision of Christ. That is a new heart. Circumcision of Christ is a matter of, of the heart. He gives you a new life to walk in Him and to live for Him. You have moved from death to life. And dear friends, hear me when I say this. Do not use your new life to go then and live in error. Your new life has been given to you so that you may live in the truth. And that's why we must guard ourselves from theological error because you have been given new life. So what are you going to do with this new life that has been given to you? Are you going to sit idly by and let error creep into your life? Are you going to fight for the truth? 
Are you going to be discerning? Are you going to guard yourself? You know, being spiritually alive means that you have the ability to understand spiritual truths. It's the Spirit of God working in you. You have the ability to understand what the Bible is teaching. So you use this new life to pursue to know the truth. Finally comes one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. We learn from it why we should guard ourselves from error. So finally, guard yourself from error because you have been forgiven. Because you have been forgiven. So notice the imagery that Paul evokes here. Into verse 13, into verse, uh, into, into verse 14. It says, having forgiven us all our trespasses by... So this is the means by which we are forgiven as Christians. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. During this time when you were... If you were to be crucified, which was the death penalty for you, what they would often do is they would place a sign at the top of your cross and they would nail it there. And on, on that sign would be your record of debt. If you had murdered somebody, your sign would read murderer. If you had stolen something from someone, your little sign at the top of your cross would say thief. And it was this big warning that, that anybody who walked by all these crosses of all these crucified criminals to tell them, if you do this, if you murder somebody, if you steal if, you know, all these crimes of all these people, if you do this, then this is going to be you. This is their record of debt of why it is that they are hanging on the cross. And we saw this even in Jesus, right? They placed a, a sign on the, on, the, on the cross of Jesus that said, King of the Jews. And why did they do this? John 19 tells us, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. His so-called record of debt was that he claimed to be king. The Jews considered this blasphemy, and so they wanted him killed. Of course, Rome couldn't find anything wrong that, that Jesus had did. He was completely innocent, and so eventually, though, they, they caved to the pressure of the Jews. They crucified him even though he was innocent, and so they nailed this. They had to put something as his record of debt. His so-called record of debt was king of the Jews. Friends, our record of debt is every sin that we have or will commit. And the punishment before God is death. It's hell. It's eternal death. How are we forgiven? Paul says that our record of debt was nailed to the cross of Jesus. When he died on the cross, he was being punished for our sin. He faced God's wrath for the record of our debt. And so our record of debt is canceled, Paul says, because the punishment was paid for by Jesus. And we are forgiven of our sin. The legal demands were met. They were paid for. You were bought at a price. And the price was the blood of Jesus. God ransomed you. He purchased you. Some friends of ours, when we lived in Lexington... Uh, invited us over to their home for dinner. This was before we 
had kids before they had kids and so we could do things like stay up late. Um, we were looking for something to do after dinner and I suggested that they pull out the fire pit so that we could smoke some s'more or cook some s'mores over the fire pit. And during the conversation, my friend said, I, I'm, I'm so glad that you suggested this. He said, we... We bought this fire pit when we moved into this house two years ago, and this is only the second time that we've used it. We bought it to be used, but it's just been sitting outside, rusting out from the bottom. They didn't buy the fire pit so that it would be rusted out. Friends, Jesus did not purchase you with His blood so that you would be rusted out by the philosophies of men. He purchased you to be used. He purchased you to know and to apply the truth. Friends, so actively guard yourself from theological error. Verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. There's some debate about what this verse means on whether this is referring to Satan, his dominion, or the human authorities of that day. Those terms that are in this verse are used both ways in the Bible. I tend to believe that this is actually referring to Satan and his demons and his dominion. I think it's a similar teaching of Hebrews chapter 2 that says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, and through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so the full picture here it would be that Jesus paid our debt on the cross, and his death defeated the purpose of the devil. Satan has no authority over you, Christian. He has been disarmed. Christ has triumphed over him, and by faith you share in this victory. And so, Christian, let me ask you then, will you pursue false teachings, not according to Christ, that are ultimately satanic, because they lead you away from Jesus? Or in being in one who has, has disarmed Satan, will you guard yourself from error, ground yourself in the Word of God and pursue truth? This is not a sit-on-the-sideline kind of instruction. I'm encouraging you to leave this place this morning with a renewed vigor for the Word of God. Actively guard yourself against theological error. Christ paid too high a price for you to do anything else. Help us know your word so well. Help us ground ourselves so well in what you have revealed to us that we are guarded from error. Help us see to it that we are not taken captive by the philosophies of men. And help us be inspired to that end by these wonderful truths of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. Father, we worship you now because of the gospel. Because in Jesus Christ we are, are free from sin. We're made alive. Be with us as we leave. In Christ's name.